bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, March 27th, 2018. Four years ago, I wrote a blog post, the spirit of which I think still applies today. That post was on how a Joint Committee on Taxation letter estimated that a tax reform discussion draft by then House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Dave Camp would actually increase the number of low-income rental units supported by the 9% low-income housing tax credit. Now, I wrote at the time that while it's true some of Chairman Camp's proposed changes would have increased the number of units, several or many provisions would have reduced the number of units supported. And on aggregate, the discussion draft released by then-Chairman Camp would have greatly reduced the number of families that could be served by the low-income housing tax credit. Now, fast forward four years, and I once again recently wrote a blog post addressing misconceptions about low-income housing tax credit production and how it would be affected by the new omnibus bill. The main point being, the low-income housing tax credit is a nuanced program, and it can be challenging to predict how legislative challenges will affect the effectiveness of the program. I'll talk more about that in a bit. But first, turning to this week's podcast, I'm going to talk about the recently passed Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2018 and the great news that came out of that legislation regarding local housing tax credit provisions and HUD funding. And after that, I'll share some highlights of recent HUD and GAO reports, followed by some state-level news from California and New York. If you're ready, let's get started. You've certainly heard by now that the fiscal year 2018 omnibus spending bill was enacted last week. The nearly $1.3 trillion spending bill includes $700 billion for defense and $591 billion for non-defense spending. The bill provides full-year appropriations legislation and funding for the 12 annual appropriations bills through September 30 of this year the end of fiscal year 2018. Overall, the bill represents a $60 billion increase in non-defense spending over current funding levels. The bill is a whopping 2,232 pages of legislative text, and it does include several tax provisions, most notably, to our listeners, an expansion of the 9% low-income housing tax credit. Now, I'll highlight the provisions related to the low-income housing tax credit first. Then I'm going to go over what the omnibus would do for various HUD programs and their funding levels. So here's what we know about the low-income housing tax credit provisions. The bill would increase 9% low-income housing tax allocations by 12.5% starting this year in 2018 and lasting until the year 2021. The new 2018 per capita amount would be $2.70 and the new small state minimum would be $3,105,000. Annual inflation adjustments would also be applied to the new 2018 allocation amounts for 2019 through 2021. Now, unless the provisions are extended, the annual allocation increase, this 12.5% increase, would revert back to current law, adjusted for inflation in the year 2022. So what does all this mean in terms of affordable housing production? In a nutshell, the omnibus was generally good news for affordable housing. 
we estimate that the four-year 12.5% allocation increase will increase affordable rental housing production by 28,400 homes over 10 years as compared to current law. In other words, the temporary 12.5% increase will get back about 12% of the units that were lost through tax reform, which means, barring any additional action, nearly 90% of affordable homes lost through tax reform will still be lost. On that note, I do want to correct some misinformation, or incomplete information is probably a better way to say it, that I've seen in the news. I've seen some articles that mistakenly say that if this temporary 12.5% increase in 9% credits was made permanent, that it would bring back local housing tax credit production to their pre-tax reform levels. Sadly, that's not the case. A permanent 12.5% allocation increase would help get back some, but not all, of only the 9% volume cap homes. I say only 9% volume cap homes because this increase of 12.5% in 9% credits doesn't help replace the lost 4% private activity bond finance production, the unit category that suffered the greatest under tax reform. If you wanted to bring back those units, you would have to provide a, a higher credit percentage for tax and bond finance projects. And on the 9% side, in order to bring production from the 9% program back to pre-tax reform levels, you would need a 19% increase in low income housing tax credits. So, in summary, a permanent 12% increase gets us to about two-thirds of the increase needed to return to pre-tax reform levels. The bottom line, though, is that the 12% increase is a welcome and significant first step, but it's not enough to bring us back to where we were. Not to mention, it's still far from meeting the vast unmet demand for more rental housing, affordable rental housing, for low-income families. I'd like to call the 12% increase a down payment for getting back some of the nearly 235,000 units that will be lost through tax reform. This so-called down payment is about 10% progress towards where we need to be to get back to where we were before tax reform. Now, the allocation cap increase was the headline provision, but there was another notable provision for the long income tax credit. So what is this notable provision? Well, the omnibus bill includes a provision from the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act to create an income averaging option. Now, under current law, current federal law, household incomes for low-income housing tax credit properties cannot exceed 60% of area median income. Now, that's that moving, of course. Now, the income averaging option in the omnibus would allow certain apartments in a low-income housing tax credit property to be available to residents earning up to 80% of area median income so long as the average for tax credit units is at or below 60% of the area median. That means for 80% for units, you would then need to have some 40% units, for 70% units, some 50% units. Now, the income averaging provision makes developing low-income housing tax credit housing more financially feasible in a number of places, those with high housing costs or rural areas with very low area median incomes. However, on the unit production side, Income averaging is only going to be marginally helpful. It's not going to help produce that many additional units, but it will help serve lower-income families. Now, to address any confusion about these omnibus provisions, I've written a Notes from the Democratic blog post called Affordable Housing Provisions and Omnibus Bill, an important down payment, not a complete fix. 
I'll post the link in today's show notes. Now, let's look at what the spending bill means for HUD funding. The bill provides HUD nearly $53 billion in gross discretionary spending and nearly $32 billion in net appropriations. Compared to fiscal 2017, the gross spending level is nearly $5 billion, or 10% more. This increase is a tremendous achievement for affordable housing, especially considering the budget challenges that face non-defense and HUD spending. Now, I won't go over funding details for every program, but I do want to highlight some key changes. Compared to the enacted levels for fiscal year 2017, the fiscal year 2018 omnibus would, once again, compared to fiscal year 2017, the 2018 omnibus would increase home funds by 43.4% to $1 billion, $362 million. Once again, home funds go up 43.4% to $1 billion, $362 million. CDBG funding, well, it goes up 7.8% to $3 billion, $235 million. There's also an increase in housing choice vouchers by 8.5% to $22 billion, $15 million. It would increase project-based Section 8 by 6.5% to $11 billion, $515 million, and increase the Public Housing Operating Fund by 3.4%, or $4 billion, $550 million. And lastly, or not lastly, but the last I'm going to mention here on the podcast, increase the Public Housing Capital Fund by 41.6% to $2 billion, $750 million. Now, we've provided analysis of HUD funding levels in a recent notes from the blog post, and if all those numbers were sounding a little bit jumbled, for your reference, we also created a chart that compares HUD funding levels in the omnibus to the levels enacted for fiscal year 2017. It's much easier to see this on a visual than listen to it on a podcast. You can find the link to this blog post in today's show notes. The next step in the appropriations process is to think about next year, and that's continue to work on the fiscal 2019 spending bill. The Trump administration, you may recall, released its fiscal year 2019 budget request last month, and the White House proposed an $11.5 billion, or nearly 22% cut, in funding for HUD compared to the 2018 enacted on those levels. Now, the usual next step in budget and appropriations is for Congress to consider a fiscal year budget resolution. But congressional leaders have decided not to pursue a budget resolution before the midterm elections in November. Without a budget resolution, using the reconciliation process for the budget bill is not an option. This means any spending or tax proposal cannot pass with a simple majority. So given the challenges of passing significant legislation close to the election, I expect Congress will not be able to draft and pass all 12 annual spending bills by September 30th, meaning we're likely going to need another continuing resolution to keep the government funded beyond September 30th. In the meantime, if you have any questions or observations about the fiscal year 2018 omnibus bill and what it means for affordable housing, I'd encourage you to share your thoughts with me on Twitter. You can tag me with my handle, at Novogratis. In other news, HUD issued its annual report last week on tenants of low-income housing tax credit properties. The report is based on information as of December 31, 2015. In the report, HUD notes that median incomes for low-income housing tax credit households was just under $17,500 per year. The report said that 44.5% of households earned 30% or less of the area median income. 
Now, this data was similar to reports from previous years, meaning there continues to be a dire need for affordable housing. Meanwhile, the Government Accountability Office last week made public its report on HUD's administration of the Rental Assistance Demonstration Program. GAO's report was critical of HUD, but primarily for how it measures success in the program. The GAO called for HUD to select better inputs and to identify goals for its leverage ratio measurements, as well as for other recommendations. Now again, the report neither praised nor criticized HUD, or RAD, I should say. The report merely said that HUD needs to improve its oversight and use of metrics in assessing RAD. And elsewhere, the California Tax Credit Allocation Committee has announced that it has a new online application for properties seeking 4% local housing tax credits and tax and bonds. The application will be submitted to both state agencies that review them. Now, there are four deadlines remaining this year to submit those applications. The next one is May 18th. And finally, the New York State Senate passed a budget proposal that would retain the timing as to when you can claim the historic tax credit as well as extend the state historic credit program through the year 2025. The bill also delinks the state historic tax credit from the federal tax credit, such that recent changes to the federal historic tax credit wouldn't affect the state historic tax credit. Now, this Senate passed proposal stands in contrast to a proposal by Governor Andrew Cuomo to defer claiming several tax credits, including the historic tax credit and the state loan housing tax credit. Cuomo's proposal would limit tax credits that could be claimed by a taxpayer to $2 million per year and defer the ability of the taxpayer to claim the balance of the credits until 2021. Cuomo's proposal would also allow the state historic tax credit to sunset after 2019. Now, the state budget is due this Saturday, and Cuomo and leaders in the legislature are negotiating how to close a $4.4 billion deficit. We'll keep an eye on where negotiations end for these tax credit provisions. And that brings me to the end of this week's report. As a reminder, the deadline to submit a nomination for the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits Awards is May 22nd. Now, the Novogratz Awards recognize excellence in affordable housing, community development, historic preservation, renewable energy, and individual achievement in these fields. I invite you to submit a nomination for any investments you've been involved in over the past year or submit a nomination on behalf of a colleague. Go to www.novaco.com awards. You'll find more information there. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company, LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.